Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Well, good morning, family. It's such an honor to be here. I love coming here. I love what your pastors represent and everything that they do. Let's give them a hand. Come on. Wow. Let's, we don't do golf claps. You know a golf clap? You can't even hear it. No, we do real claps here, right? Come on, let's give them a hand. I just love Dr. Melanie and everything that this church represents, and I always look forward to coming here. And I was actually, I've been working on a, a teaching series that I was looking forward to releasing here, but I didn't quite get it finished. Because of the nature of what this ministry represents, uh, the teaching series I'm working on is called uh, The Justice of God. How many of us know that justice is a major theme in culture right now? And it, right now, we really do need a biblical definition of what God's view of justice is, and then how that has played out within our life, within humanity's life. What does that look like? What is God's plan of redemption? What does his justice look like? And so I've been working on that for about two months, just studying the word of God, looking at how the Father defines justice. And man, I have just been so blessed by it and refreshed by it. And I was really looking forward to releasing that here, but I did not get it finished. Just to give you a teaser of one subject I will be addressing in that teaching series is love and equality. Some of us know we hear love and equality all over. We need a biblical definition of those two terms and how they work together. Amen? I even will say it this way. You cannot strip truth from love because when you strip truth from love, you have acceptance without freedom. Some of us know loving people and just simply loving them is not going to set them free. The Bible says truth is what sets you free. And right now we have a culture where we're trying to present love without truth and we think we're real acceptance. No, it's actually hate masquerading as love. It causes evil to escalate. I'm really not trying to preach that right now. (laughs) But that's what I'm working on. I feel like that's going to really, really touch the heart of the people. And I really feel like if we as the church, we as Christians, we as believers, we as ambassadors of God, we really need to know how to demonstrate justice within the world, how to carry love within the world, how to really accept people within the world into the point where we speak truth to them, truth in love. And I'm not telling you to go and be mean to people. It's, it's okay for a Christian to smile and be respectful to somebody. Amen. Some of us, the way we've treated people about them, the whole mass situation is, you know, Jesus wouldn't act that way. You know, oh boy, am I stepping on toes here? Anyway, well, this morning, the Lord has been really speaking to me heavily over the past three months about the subject of, of the Spirit. How many of us know we need to know the role and function of the Spirit of God within our life? Okay, let me try this side. Some of us know we need to know the role and function of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm from Alabama. From Alabama, we have people that speak back to the ministers. So that's what I'm looking for. So I need my coffee people to acknowledge yourself right now. Hey, I drank a cup of coffee this morning. I'm ready to say amen because you're my person. (laughs) There he is. But the Lord has been really ministering. He's been speaking to me about the subject of the Spirit and about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I'm, I'm involved in the charismatic Pentecostal world, and I'm ministering a lot of charismatic Pentecostal churches all over the country, all over the world. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years, and particularly over the past three years, is that we as charismatics have become so focused on the infilling of the Spirit that we've made revival about the renewal of the church instead of the reformation of culture. Woo! 
We've made the Holy Spirit only about me and my blessing, me and my revival, me and my blessing, me and my joy, me and my hope. That sounds more like the American dream than it does the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. And so when the Lord began to speak to me coming into 2021, he began to address some of these issues of my heart, and he began to really get me to look at myself where I really am. How many of us know, I love the way God rebukes you, you know? How many of us know it's okay to be rebuked and disciplined by your heavenly Father? Amen? And he began to address this in my own heart, and he began to show me, he says, William, you, you're focused only on you. You're focused on what God, what my spirit is for you, but you're not focused on what that spirit is through you, touching the lives of other people. And man, when this theme hit my heart, I have, to, I have to admit, family, I went to a time of repentance, and I just got before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I, I, need, I need to be readjusted in this area. But this morning, I kind of want to focus on you. I want to focus on your personal identity, and I want to focus on what the role and the function of the Spirit of God is within your life so that when you're in the world, you know how to properly represent him. Because some of us know when you gave your life to Jesus, you gave up your right to represent yourself. You became an ambassador, a delegated authority. You, you become his representative that when people look at you and they hear your words and they see your actions, they need to be able to relate that to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so this is why we need to know what the role and the function of the Holy Spirit is within our life. And so I want to get basic and practical this morning. Is it okay if I do that? Is it okay if I read the Bible in church? You have to ask those questions nowadays, you know. In John chapter 3, you have a man named Nicodemus, and he's coming to Jesus, and he's a teacher of, of the law, and he begins to have a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk to him about the born-again experience. And how many of us know, as a believer, you need to have a revelation of what being born again really is? Being born again is not you saying yes to Jesus, getting a get-out-of-hell-free card, and when you die, you get to cash it in and go to heaven. How many of us know what the world, what the church is right now, their view of the gospel is more in alignment with Platonism than it is Jesus? Because we think, the, we think going to heaven, we think the gospel is that right there. Me living in the cloud somewhere in a disembodied state in a place called heaven, we think that's the final state of a believer. No, that is not your final state of a believer. That is your intermediate state as a believer. Your final state as a believer is found in Revelation 21 and 22 called the new heavens and the new earth. Why do you think 1 Corinthians 15 talks more about the resurrection than anything else? Paul addresses it all throughout the New Testament. So the aim and the focus of the New Covenant, aim and the focus of the New Testament is not about you leaving the earth and going to heaven. No, it's about heaven coming to earth and liberating creation. That's called the new heavens and the new earth. Romans chapter 8, verses 19, 20, and 21 says, All of creation is awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God so that creation itself can be set free from its slavery, from its corruption, into the freedom of the glorious children of God. And so God's redemptive plan is not about annihilating this world. It's about liberating this world. Whew. You hear me? I think the gospel of Jesus Christ in America re need, really needs to be preached again, but preached again according to the emphasis that Scripture puts upon it. And so when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he begins to create this context for him. He says, no, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, he begins to process it rationally and, and naturally and logically. And how many of us know, when you process God through your logic, you will often reduce him down to your level of understanding. And Nicodemus, 
Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be born of, of water and the spirit. And he says, how in the world can I be born again? Can I, do, do I need to go, be, go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And he starts processing all this. And in verse 6, Jesus finally says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so when you gave your life to Jesus, there's really two parts that's going to play. The first part is this right here. It is your spirit that became a new creation. How many of us know that? Your body, Romans chapter 8 says, we're still waiting for the redemption of our body. That is the resurrection at the end of the age. That goes in alignment with what I just said about the new heavens and the new earth. You saw the the new spiritual body and the resurrection, the new immoral body that you're going to receive is a physical body. You're not going to live in a disembodied state. That's Platonism or Gnosticism. That is not what the Bible teaches. You hear me? But right now, we're in a time of the Spirit. The major distinction of the Old Testament and the New Testament is what? The indwelling of God's Spirit. When you gave your life to Jesus, you need to realize this process takes skin. You become born again, and you become a new creation. Isn't that good? Okay, I'm going to try this side. We, we have a saying in Alabama, if that doesn't get you excited, your wood is wet, my friend. <laughs> we should know what that means where it snows, right? No, you become a new creation, but you didn't become a new creation in, in your physical flesh. Because when we hear the word of God taught like this, we hear identity statements. We hear people say, you're a new creation. And what is the first thing you do? You go and look at yourself in the mirror and like, this doesn't look like a new creation to me. (laughs) You ever done that before? I did that. When I first started hearing people talk about being a new creation, I said, God, I need some revelation on this because when I teach on the new creation, I want to be able to create a context of understanding for people that they're not confused. They actually know how to partner with the new creation instead of going home trying to convince themselves that it's real. That They actually leave understanding and knowing that it is real. And so what Jesus is telling him right here is like, no, it is your spirit that becomes a new creation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says what? The one who has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with him. Wow. That word one means complete in every aspect. Do you realize you're in complete and total union with Christ right now? You cannot perfect upon your relationship with Jesus in your spirit. Do you realize you didn't receive an immature Jesus, a junior Holy Spirit? Your spirit is as mature as it will ever be because it's in union with God. That means as he is, so also will you be in this world. 1 John chapter 4, I believe it is, says that. Do you realize that in your spirit right now, you've been joined with God, and as he is, so also are you? Family, this revelation right here changed your life. In other words, what am I trying to say? You, in your spirit, you're just as righteous, you're just as holy, you're just as pure as Jesus is. It is a finished work of the cross. You're not trying to perfect upon your spirit. You do not need to mature in your spirit. You are as mature as you will ever be. Now, you need to mature in your flesh. You need to mature in your mind. You need to renew your soul. But your spirit is as perfect as it will ever be. Wow. So what am I trying to tell you? God lives inside of you. God, listen, God lives inside of you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Once you realize that you and God is the majority, man, you live your life so much different. Once you realize there is not enough demons in all of the world that can come against you and your destiny because you are a carrier of God. God dwells on the inside of you. You carry his power. You carry his authority. You carry his name. You carry his nature. Man, when you realize this, there's not enough people. There's not enough demons that can talk you out of Jesus because you you realize I can't help but to fall in victory. (laughs) Do you realize that Satan is victim to your victory? 
He is already defeated. He's already in a defeated posture. When you wake up in the morning and when you walk out of your house, Satan is afraid of you. He is not here to torment you. You're here to torment him. It's time that James chapter 4 verse 7 becomes a reality in the church again. It says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The normal posture of Satan in your life is running from you, not to you. Man, when I walk into the man, when I walk outside, I don't say, man, I want to get exposed to the world today. No, when I walk out of my house, I'm thinking, man, the world is going to get exposed to Jesus in me today. <laughs> man, if God dwells on the inside of you and you're in complete union with God, what, what is the problem, right? Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I just begin to speak truth to myself. One of the most powerful things that you can ever do is preach to yourself. And some of us need to start speaking truth to ourselves instead of cursing ourselves all the time. I actually, this is how I learned how to preach. After I got saved, I came out of atheism. And how I learned how to preach is I would get the word of God and I would look at myself in the mirror every single day and I would preach the word of God to myself. Because the thing is, if the word doesn't set you free, it's not going to set anybody else free. If the word of God that you preach doesn't bless you, it's not going to bless anybody that listens to it. I was, pre- I was ministering in a home church last night, and this guy comes up to me. He says, man, I actually believe you. <laughs> and the reason he said that to me, because I believe what I'm talking about. I believe that God dwells on the inside of me. I believe I'm in union with him. I believe I carry his nature. I believe I carry his power, his authority. I believe I am victorious. Amen. Wow. You hear me, family? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it goes on to say this. Not only are you filled with God's spirit, but he even talks about your physical body and says, and relates your physical body to a temple. It says, do you not even realize that you are the temple of God? You can even connect that over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, you are the temple of God in which his spirit dwells. And so that means, that means this physical structure right here is not the house of God. You are. This physical building right here is just what it is. It is a physical building. The temple in which God is raising up and building upon the earth today is his covenant people, his covenant body, you and I, as his holy temples where his spirit dwells. So what if you begin to view your flesh? What if you begin to view your body more like a temple than anything else? Do you realize there are certain... There are certain movies that you would never watch inside of this building, but you watch them at your house. Why? Because you think this is the church. You think this building is the temple. You think this building is the sanctuary, and actually it's really you. So why would we want to do things to defile the temple of God? What if you realize you are the house of worship? What if you realize you are the house of prayer? Everywhere that you go, God is. And everywhere that you go, the house of worship is established. The house of prayer is established. The temple of God is displayed everywhere that you go, unless you don't believe it. Man, if you don't picture yourself as a temple, you'll never be one. If you don't view yourself as as holy and righteous, you'll never demonstrate it. If you don't view yourself as being filled with God, you'll live your life dead. What am I trying to say here? God lives inside of you. (laughs) I'm going to beat that point inside of our minds today. But what I want you to see right here is the most beautiful gift that God has given you is your will. Even though God dwells on the inside of you, even though your spirit is in union with him, he's obviously not seeking to control your will. Do you realize God is living inside of you as a captive Until you learn to yield to him? Well, I don't know about that, William. I don't know if he's living inside of me as a captive. Well, I can can honestly look at your life and tell God's not in control. 
I can listen to some of your speech and some of your words and some of your actions, and you're saying, doing things that God would never say nor do. Is that, is that too blunt? I'm sorry. The pastors are cleaning this stuff up once I leave here. What am I trying to say? I'm saying even though God dwells on the inside of you, even though his power lives on the inside of you, he is still seeking the, your, your willingness. He's still seeking your yieldingness, your submission to the government of his spirit. He is not interested in forcing you to be his slave. He's not interested in making you look like him, making you work for him. No, the most beautiful gift God has given you is your will. Wow. If God forced you and God controlled you and God forced his love upon you, do you realize that forced love is rape? It's a violation of your created being, and God is not interested in violating your created being. Jesus came, and one of the reasons he came in the form of man to restore and to redeem the purpose of man on earth. And so Jesus came, and he makes this powerful statement. He says, I did not come to do my will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. How many of us know there was never a person that that walked the earth that was more free than Jesus? But yet, there was never a son more submitted than Jesus was. So what does Jesus reveal? Freedom is not, freedom does not come as a byproduct of independence. It comes as a byproduct of submission. Yes, that is so good. We think just because I have a free will to do whatever I want to do, that is called liberty. No, that is called bondage. Because Because if you think your will has been given to you for you to become the definer of your own destiny, you will ultimately pervert what God perfected. All right, let me try this side. Did that make sense, or am I just talking too much? God has given you your will, but if you take your will out from under submission to his spirit that dwells inside of you, you now become your own God. You now become the definer of your own destiny, and you will ultimately pervert what he perfected in your life. You see, real freedom is found when you fully submit yourself to the government of God's spirit that dwells on the inside of you. Wow. God dwells on the inside of me. What, what if I live my life in a way that he can fully live his life through me? Man, Jesus dies so that you can live through him, but will you die so that he can live through you? The life of a believer, the life of a Christian is really the life of a martyr. You said, I will take up my cross daily Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I discipline my body and I bring it under submission. Or he says, I make it my slave so that I may not be disqualified. Well, what is he bringing his body in submission to? The spirit. Man, you're filled with God. You're in union with Christ, but yet the church is more carnal than what I have ever seen before. We, we've adopted this mentality that the, world, that the world portrays, that the world has. And, you know, when you talk to somebody in the world, they'll say this to you. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. And you can tell they're not spiritual at all by the, you know, they feel with the spirit all right. <laughs> What basically what they're saying is, I want the luxury of God without the responsibility of allegiance to him. It's an ancient philosophy found in Epicureanism, and Epicureanism basically says this in a nutshell, that there, if there is a God, he lives in a sky far off somewhere, and he's not really involved with this earth, so therefore you can create a doctrine that has the luxury or the idea of God without any responsibility or allegiance to his ways, his natures, or his values. So therefore, you actually become your own God. So therefore, you become your own Christ in which you need to be sacrificed. The greatest enemy to your gospel is, 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 is you. The greatest idol to overcome is self. 
The greatest idol in my life I have to constantly sacrifice every single day is the idol of me, the idol of self. Because when we look at the world, the world is catered to appealing to the flesh and not your spirit. And it's now creeping into the church. And so now we have a church culture that's about entertaining the saints instead of equipping the saints. Where it's about making, it's about appealing to the flesh to keep you in a seat rather than appealing to your spirit so that you can actually live free. And so what we've unintentionally have done, we've created a church culture that appeals to the desires of the flesh and quenches out the desires of the spirit. You see, God has already accomplished his part. He has already deposited his spirit inside of you. There's not a whole lot more he really needs to do to help you out. (laughs) Are you following me? I mean, God lives inside of you. What if the Christianity was more about you discovering the Christ within rather than you getting something that you don't have? Now, I'm going to preference it this way. I want to connect 1 Corinthians 6, 17 over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. That says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The context of those verses is talking about a continuous, ongoing infilling of God's Spirit. And so even though you have been filled, and even though you're in union with Him, even though you're complete in Him, that doesn't mean it's a one-time, done-and-gun thing. No, it means from that point on, there's a continuous infilling cycle that takes place of God constantly pouring Himself into you over and over and over again. He fills you and fills you. He gifts you and gifts you. I had this guy the other day, he says, I I was baptized with the Spirit 35 years ago with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I said, man, you haven't been filled with the Spirit a day since then. Because you're dead. See, if I have a belief system that it's a one and done thing that I don't have to do anything else, and that belief system will actually quench the river source inside of me. It will cut off the Spirit from my life. And I won't have an ongoing revival I won't have an ongoing refreshing. Why? Because my belief system becomes the stone that clogs up the river. I know I'm putting a lot out there in a short amount of time. But I only have one service with you, so you're just going to have to just strap the seatbelt on. Right now, I'm speaking to your identity, but I'm speaking to your identity from another perspective. You need to know God dwells on the side of you. I've already alluded to it over and over and over again. If God dwells on the inside of me and I'm already in union with him, then how do I submit to that spirit? The most basic fundamental principle, I want you to write this down, the renewal of your mind. I think Romans chapters 12, 1 and 2 is probably the most significant passages of Scripture in the Bible because it puts the emphasis of the transformation of your life on what? The renewal of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Go to verse 1 right now. It starts off with this statement, and it says this. We are to present our bodies. So what is it connecting to? Your physical flesh, your physical being, your physical body. See, that's your responsibility. God's responsibility is to fill you. Your responsibility is to yield. It says we are to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice unto God as our spiritual service of worship. Do you realize that's what true worship is? It is not us simply singing songs. It is a life consecrated unto Christ. That's what spiritual, that's what worship really is. I'm not going to reduce worship down to me singing songs. Is that part of it? Absolutely. But when I leave from here, the real worship begins because how am I going to live unto Christ? How am I going to be consecrated unto Christ? Am I going to worship him with my lips here but live for the devil with my actions there? If I do that, I just proclaim God by doctrine but walk with Satan by principle. 
Romans 12 starts off with, with our physical bodies and saying, no, you need to view yourself as a temple and you need to understand you are a living sacrifice and you need to put yourself on the altar of God every single day. The reason you are a living sacrifice is because God wants you to be a sacrifice out of your own will. Yes, yes, that's right. That means you have to choose to remain on the altar. That's right. But what do you do when the fire begins? What do you do when, when he begins to fall on that sacrifice? What do you do when all of a sudden he asks you to do something that your flesh just doesn't want you to do? That's when you realize how sacrificed you really are is when God asks you to do something that makes you uncomfortable. And then verse 2 begins and says this right here. Am I giving you guys enough passages of Scripture? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. So that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is perfect, and that which is acceptable. And so this is the part in which we play. If you're going to be governed by the Spirit, if you're going to align yourself to Christ inside of you, then you need to renew your mind into alignment with that Spirit. Is this making sense? What the world is going to tell you, 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 just, you just need to change your life by thinking positive. Do you realize thinking positive is not going to change your life? Now, it, it, it'll help some of us out. Some of you need to think some positive thoughts about yourself because, man, when you look in the mirror, all you do is criticize yourself. And so it's going to help to a certain degree, but positive thinking is not going to transform you. Positive thinking is not going to develop the mind of Christ. Positive thinking will just get you to hell with a good mood. You just invite Satan into your house. And I, Mr. Satan, I'm just glad you're here. You'd be all upbeat about it. No, you know, the renewal of the mind, listen to this, is, is the alignment of my mind to the mind of the spirit. All right, you don't believe me yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says what? You and I have the mind of Christ. The whole discourse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is about the combination of Paul. Well, let's just read it, matter of fact. I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. I'm going to actually read this instead of just quote it. Can you tell I love the Bible? For six years, I spent 8 to 10 hours a day reading the Bible. I still spend about four hours a day. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. I want us to read this whole chapter. You know, people, when you... When you, when you when you start training to preach, which I didn't train to preach, the Holy Spirit taught me how to preach. But one of, one of the things man is going to tell you to do is, is don't, don't. Man is going to say, you don't need to read large passages of Scripture in church because people are not going to pay attention. So you telling me I can't read the Bible in church because people are not going to pay attention, but yet they can watch a two-and-a-half-hour movie? Anyway, I'm really a nice guy. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2, Paul begins to address some things here, and he says, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I also... I also was with you in weakness and in fear and great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak of a wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor are the rulers of this age who, has, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a ministry, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood for if they had understood it they would not have crucified the lord of glory but just as it is written listen to this a lot of people quote this passage out of context and it says this things which eye has not seen or an ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart all that god has prepared for for those that love him i've heard so many ministers read this passage to insinuate you can't know see or hear or understand what god wants to do in your life that's a bunch of bull If they kept reading, you know what the very, very next verse says, brother? It says what? For to us, God revealed them. 
All you had to do was keep going. Man, I wish some ministers would just keep reading. Just read the Bible. Read it all the way through. Don't stop. Just keep going because it says, for to us, God revealed them through what? Through the So now this context is being created, the Spirit. It says, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Then then it gives this example, this contrast. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the Spirit of that person that is in him? Who knows your thoughts better than you? Just think about that. Your Spirit, right? No one knows your thoughts better than you. It goes on to say this. So also the thoughts of God. Whew. No one knows except the Spirit of God whose spirit has been joined with whose spirit. Your spirit has been joined with God's spirit. And it says this spirit right here, God's spirit contains his thoughts and his ways, has his depths of who he is on the inside of you. And you've been in union, been joined in union with that spirit. Do you realize God isn't holding secrets back from you? You're holding secrets back from you. All right. I was blessed by that. <laughs> so, so also the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Everything that God knows, you already contain. Do you realize that your being as a temple, your spirit right now contains the thoughts of God? That means you can so renew your mind that you can trust your thoughts as God's voice. Do I need to say that again? When you focus on the renewing of your mind, do you know what you're doing? You're you're aligning yourself to the mind of Christ. You're aligning yourself to the Spirit. And at some point, you can literally trust what you're thinking as God's thoughts in your mind. You can literally trust your thoughts as God's voice. Man, my wife, she gets frustrated with me sometimes because she asks me. She says, let's go pray about this. And I always say, well, let me think about it. Now she's figured out what I mean by that. I have renewed my mind to a point where now I don't have to go and spend five or six months in prayer to find out what God is saying. All I have to do is think. Because my mind is in alignment with God's spirit. My mind is in alignment with God's mind. And so I can trust that what I am thinking, that what I am processing in my, lo- in my mind is exactly what God is processing in his mind. What if you could be so renewed that you could trust your desires? Amen. Come on. Come on. How do I know what God wants to do on the earth? What do you desire to do? Man, we complicate hearing God so much. Listen, God's voice is going to sound like your voice in you. But if I don't renew my mind, I'll never know what he's really saying. If I don't, if I don't renew my mind to the word of God, even though I have God's spirit dwelling on the inside of me, I'll never live free. I'll never live according to that power. I'll never live according to that authority. I'll never live according to his mind. I was just in Las Vegas doing some ministry, and I get through preaching. This guy walks up to me. He says, man, you just think different than the rest of us think. He says, it's almost like God. I'm like, that's exactly what I've been trying to beat in your head for three days, is that you have the mind of God. You have the mind of Christ. If you want to know what God's thinking, think. That's all I have to do. I don't, I don't have to pr- fast and pray and get 500 people on a prayer chain for me to figure out what God wants to do. Now, is there anything with fasting and praying? No, you need to fast and pray. And yeah, Is there anything with a prayer chain? No. But what I'm saying is sometimes we come up with these outside other things to do because we don't want to renew our mind. We want to hear God's voice from another source rather than his spirit. Why would you want to hear God from through another source other than him? Do you really, listen, I've been saved for now 16 years. I have never been publicly called out by a prophet and, called, and prophesied my destiny over, over me. 
I could easily get depressed by why God haven't you called me out? Why haven't you encouraged me and given me a word? Or I can easily go to the word of God and say, man, I may not be man's first choice, but I am God's first choice. Because I've never been man's first choice in anything I've ever done. I've always been overlooked, passed over, undermined, devalued. You can't do this because of this education. You can't go there because of this background. Man, stop giving man's voice the authority of God's voice in your life. Who died and made those people God? What they do what they think about you. And I'm not, so I'm not going around seeking a word of God through a person. I have it right here in the word. Now, is there anything wrong? Are there prophets? Absolutely. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the charismatic culture, we, we get so dysfunctional in some of this stuff. And we seek man. We seek man for impartation. We seek man for prophetic word. We seek man for, for healing. or for, We seek man for this or we seek man for that. Is there a time in your life you may need to have someone come pray for you? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm here to teach you how you can walk in this as a lifestyle and how you can walk in this as a lifestyle is renewing of your mind according to God's word because ultimately what you're doing is you're bringing your physical flesh, you're bringing your life, your body under submission to the government of the spirit. And to the degree in which you submit to that spirit is to the degree in which the life of that spirit can be demonstrated through you. Have I preached you guys asleep? All right. So now I want to even connect Romans chapter 12, verse 2 over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. I wish I had about six months here with you. Then I could finally finish the message, I think. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 begins this, 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 this statement. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. So we need to stop trying to get spiritual by using natural carnal ways to do it. Need to renew the mind. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. It goes on to say this. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking some thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Is that what the Bible says there at the end? So I'm trying to check, see if you were actually reading the Bible. It says we are to take all thoughts, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you realize that's how strongholds are developed in your life is through ways of thinking that's inconsistent with the mind of the spirit? Patterns of thought that's inconsistent with the word of God, that's inconsistent with the nature of God, that's inconsistent with the mind of the spirit that dwells on the inside of you. That's how demonic strongholds are built in your life, developed in your life. The greatest enemy to your destiny is not the devil. It is the false beliefs that have become idols in your life. People come up to me all the time, William, how, how can I walk in, in the things that you're walking in? When I tell them to do that, they don't, when I tell them to read the word of God and renew their mind, they don't want to do that. They want me to lay hands on them and all of a sudden God is going to do for them what he wants to do through them. The only way that you can begin to walk in these things is, is, is the byproduct of relationship with God. You cannot, you cannot get an impartation and bypass relationship and all of a sudden walk in the fullness of these things. No, it's going to come to a point where you need to take personal responsibility for your life. And say, you know what? All hell of my life is breaking loose, but I don't have to be bound by it. My, the facts of my life don't have to prophesy to me. They don't have to tell me how to live. I'm taking responsibility. I'm no longer going to blame my family. I'm no longer going to blame my neighbor. I'm no longer going to blame my country or the government. No, I'm taking responsibility for my mind and my life and my heart, and I'm going to renew it. So therefore, I'm no longer a byproduct of my environment. I'm a byproduct of my created design. It's really simple. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to go watch TV for 20 hours and not check out and not put forth any effort to change your life. I'm not trying to rain, rain on your party, but I'm damn trying to tell you that party may be killing you. Are you really having a party or are you having a death march? I'm not a party pooper. 
But I, I want to speak truth to you because I want you to be free. I want you to be the person God has designed you to be. And I'm not going to stand up here and sugarcoat the word of God and give you diabetes in the process of trying to speak truth to you. Listen, I may never see you again. I can't just sneak up on you and, ma- and masquerade. I, I got to just be blunt and tell you the truth. Stop it. <laughs> this is what I do every single day. I focus on the renewal of the mind. You could even connect this over to the parable of the sower. It relates the word of God to a seed. Then relates the four types of ground to soil, which is you and I. And it was the same seed that went on the four types of ground, but only one type of ground actually reaped the harvest of the potential of the seed. So that means the word of God had contains the kingdom, and it is planted in your mind as the soil. That means every single one of us have the same potential of harvest, but yet you notice in the parable of the sower, the one that reaped the harvest was the good soil that aligned itself to the word, that aligned itself to the seed. And so in other words, the harvest you receive is not contingent upon the seed sown but the ground prepared so if the word of God is a seed that means every thought that you have in your mind is a seed that contains a kingdom that means every thought that you meditate on becomes the prophetic voice of your life Do you realize the the predominant thought that you have in your mind about you right now is the prophet of your future? When you sow a seed, what you do reap, you reap a harvest of the seed sown. When you sow a thought in your mind and you don't take it captive, what happens is you will reap a action. When you sow a action, you will reap a habit. When you sow a habit, you will reap a lifestyle. When you sow a lifestyle, you will reap a destiny. There's a divine connection between what you're thinking today and what you're fulfilling tomorrow. William, it cannot be that easy. Well, don't wake me up then. This is how I've been living for 16 years. I haven't been depressed in over 12 years. I haven't been sick in 16 years. I don't believe in sickness. Why would I want to get sick for? You know what I'm saying? Most people plan to get sick. Flu season comes around. What do they do? They go get all the medication. They start preparing to get sick. They, they get sick by faith. You know what I'm saying? I don't get sick by faith. I don't believe in sickness. I believe in healing. I believe that by his wounds I am healed. I believe that his word is the word of God. I don't think he's lying. I don't think it's a fairy tale novel. I think it is the living word of God. It's authoritative in my life. And it changes me. It transforms me. It renews me. It restores me. And it sets me upon a foundation that is unshakable. And when the storms of life come, I don't react to the storm. I respond from the word. That's why when COVID came and pressure was applied to the church, everything but Jesus came out. He who who dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What he just said right there. He goes on to say it. Do you see the importance of the renewal of the mind? Do you see the importance of the Word of God in your life? Listen, I I want to encourage you, family, when you get home tonight or this afternoon, I want you to preach to yourself in the mirror. I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? You are righteous and holy and pure. You've been purchased by the blood of God, by the blood of Christ. The Word of God says, I am a new creation. And you start preaching to yourself, and you get free, and you get set up, and you, you start serving God in this way. I'm telling you, there's not a person in all this world that can talk you out of Jesus, that can talk you out of your destiny, that can rain on your parade. But yet we let religious people project their bondage on our freedom all the time and get us bound like they are because they are offended that we walk in freedom. Man, that... After I got saved, about two years into it, I would have people come to me and say, William, I know you're excited about God right now, but give it enough time. It's going to wear off, and reality is going to hit you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's been 16 years, and I love God more today than I've ever loved him before in my life. Don't, don't listen to those people. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't want to change their life, so they don't want you to change yours either. Pastor gave me to 4 o'clock. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I want to I leave you with these two questions. I have about 11 minutes here. Is that right at 12 o'clock? Is that okay? Okay. She just confirmed it, 4 o'clock. There's two questions I want you to consider when it comes to the renewal of your mind. I alluded to it already. The first question is this. You need to ask yourself this question. Do I process God through my natural human logic? That's the first question. However you answer that question is going to determine what you manifest, what you walk into, what you release through your life. The second question is this. Do I process my logic through God, through the Word? Because the way you answer these two questions will determine if you develop the mind of Christ or the mind of the world. Whether you're transformed or conformed. Most people live, because listen, we live in a Western culture. We're very much rational people. I'm a very rational guy, by the way. I've had to work at thinking differently. I have had to work to think like the mind of Christ. It hasn't come easy for me because I'm a very natural, carnal, logical person, systematic in my thinking. So it's been difficult for me, I'm just being honest, to, to, to train myself to, to think like God in this way. But one of the things I used to do is I, I used to read the Bible, and then I would process what I was reading, and I would process it through my own human logic, and I could logically see why people think, oh, yeah, well, I see how miracles can end. You, know? you can logically start seeing these things because what happens is you, you process them through your logic, and you, and, he, and you keep reducing them down to your level of understanding, and at some point, you begin to serve a Jesus that looks like you instead of you looking like him. All of a sudden, you begin to serve a, a gospel. You begin to serve a God formed out of your own reason, out of your own understanding. Listen, it's difficult to change your mind. But if you hurry up and do it, it'll be a lot easier now than it will 20 years from now. Listen, you're thinking anyway. You might as well think like Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thinking about stuff anyway, so why not think like God? That's the way I look at it. But the second one is, do you process your logic through God? In other words, do you allow the Word of God to change what you think, or do you allow what you think to change the Word of God? Wow, really I heard a minister say one time, he says, people just don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. <laughs> I'm going to read one last story, and I will let the captives go. Mark chapter 6, to illustrate this point, Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes to the disciples, and he would always put the disciples in situations that caused them to sacrifice the idol of self, to get them outside of their own ability, to get them outside of their own natural human logic, to get them out of their own rationale so that they can learn to be his disciple. And so when I read the Gospels, I'm looking at it through this set of lens, and, I, and, I, and it's so funny to me. The Gospels are hilarious to me. Because what we do in church, what Jesus did to disciples, how he equipped them, he says, hey, come follow me. Oh, oh, go heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers, by the way. What we do in church is, hey, come to this class for 30 years and get unuseful. You know, Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And so this is the feeding of the 5,000, and, and the disciples come to Jesus. It's been, it's been going all day long, and, and the people are getting hungry. And you know how you get when you get hungry. It's close to lunchtime now, and some of what you're thinking about me isn't what Jesus is thinking about me. <laughs> so you take this as practice. <laughs> Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus says this, Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, and this is what the disciples said to Jesus, this place is desolate, and it is already quite late, and send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus a question. But when Jesus gives them an answer, they don't like the answer in which he gives. 
Have you ever prayed and when God answered that prayer, it offended you? This is exactly what happens right here. And so Jesus looks at the disciples after they ask him a question. And Jesus said, answered them and said, you give them something to eat. And so he, he speaks a word into them, which is completely different than what they were expecting Jesus to say. They were expecting Jesus to say, okay, let's go. we're going to put this plan together for the next 30 days, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to raise the money this way. Now, they were expecting Jesus to logically, they were expecting Jesus to come up with a plan, but Jesus turns it back around on them and says, no, you give them something to eat. What was he trying to get them to realize? He was trying to get them to realize they were a carrier of something they didn't realize they carried. Do you realize in the command itself gave them the empowerment to accomplish what he said? When, when God asks you a question, it's because you need to change your perspective. It's not because he needs information from you. It's not because you need to inform him of all the situations in your life and call it prayer. No, it's, it's that he's asking you something so that you can shift your perspective because he's trying to get you to think like him. And so when Jesus speaks to the disciples and he says, you give them something to eat, in that very word contains what they needed, the ability to accomplish what he said. But when he says this, how do they respond? This is how they respond. Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat, Jesus? That's how I read the Bible. I don't know if you read the Bible, right? read that that way, but this is how I would be reading it. What were they doing? They were processing what God said. They were processing what Jesus said through their own logic, through their own natural ability, through what they had instead of what he said. Did you hear that? They were processing it through what they had instead of what he said. Most of the time, you're looking at your destiny, and you're looking at how that destiny could be fulfilled based on what you have instead of what he said. And so now they go through this process, and what is this process they go through? This is the process of coming to the conclusion, I don't have an answer for this. So it's actually a good process because what they're doing is sacrificing the idol of self. They're sacrificing their own reason. They're sacrificing their own natural understanding, their own natural ability. They're coming to this divine conclusion. There's, a, there's something I don't know, and so I need to go back to Jesus to discover what I don't know. And so now they come back to Jesus, and, and, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, they said five and two fish. Now, there's another problem here. They come back to Jesus. Now, Jesus gives them a commandment, in a sense. He gives them a direction. He gives them a starting point. This is what God does with you. He's going to give you a starting point. He's going to give you a starting point proportional to where your faith is, too. Oh, man. And so he gives them the starting point, and then when they go to and find what Jesus told them to get, there's another problem. When in, in proportion to the 5,000 men standing there, not counting the, the, the women and the children, probably 10,000 people, in proportion to what they have now to work, they're called to feed, there, there's no way possible that this miracle can take place. How would you begin to look at this situation? If God looked at you and said, well, bring to me what you have, and the and only thing that you had in your life was five loaves of bread and two fish, and then he looked at you and says, now we need to feed all these people with it, how would you respond in that situation? Would you sacrifice the voice of Jesus? Would you sacrifice your calling because of human reasoning? Would you process it and come to the conclusion, Jesus is crazy? Or would you readapt who you are to who he is? And so they bring to Jesus what they have. Everybody say, everybody say this. Let's say this together. I just need to bring to Jesus what I have. See, that's all he needs to work with in your life is what you have. Only thing you need to do is present to him what you have. And so they bring to Jesus what they have, and this is what proceeds to happen. And he, 
And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups of the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. So who did he give the bread and the fish to to set before the people? Jesus wasn't doing it for them. He was doing it with them, right? And he was giving them assignment. He was giving them responsibility. God is always going to give you a responsibility. Otherwise, he will be a neglectful father, and he's not equipping you. And so now they sit down in groups of green grass on 50s and 100s, and he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate, and they were all satisfied. Now, this is when the miracle happens. The miracle happens through the process of obedience to what, what they brought to Jesus, what he blesses, and they trust that what he said they have now, they had to trust that what he's blessed is blessed. Now, we look at this passage, and we tend to think this right here, that all of a sudden, a buffet manifested in front of everybody, and all this food multiplied, and they were just handing out plates. Hey, hey, eat all you want to eat. I don't think it happened that way. I think Jesus took a bread, he broke it, and he took a, took a little piece of bread and a little piece of fish, and he placed it in the palm of one of his disciples' hands, and he says, now turn and face the people that you're called to minister to. Jesus is always going to cause you to face your fears, face your concerns, face the places that he has called you to minister to. And now what happened, I believe the disciples are probably looking at their hands and they're still processing this through their logic and they're looking at what they have in proportion to who they're called to minister to. And they're probably saying, how in the world is this miracle going to happen? You know they weren't walking fast to the, to the crowd. I've been walking like this. You know, I wouldn't be moving quick over there. I'd be like, please, please manifest. Please multiply in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know they weren't running over there to the crowd. They were hoping that that bread was going to multiply in their hands before they got to that people. And you know the people were looking at them, hey, you better have more than that piece of wafer bread and that juice in your hand when you, before you get over here. And so what, what was this process called? This process was called trust and obedience. The level of your trust determines the level of your obedience. And most of us do not obey because we don't trust. You see, some of us hear the word of God and we look, we know, we, we know what we have in our hand is blessed. We know God has commissioned us. We know God has called us to go minister to those people, but we're taking our dear old time to get there. Why? Because we're really seeking a license to be disobedient. I want to give enough time to it and walk slow enough that I can actually say I tried. And I believe they get all the way to the first person and they give away everything that they had in hand. And as soon as what they released what they had, they received and saw what they didn't know they had. The miracle began to take place and they realized, wow, I have an unlimited resource. I have an unlimited source called God. Do you realize God that dwells inside of you is not a resource? He is a source. You have everything in the heavenly places. God wants to break that human logic, and he wants to transform your mind. So I'm asking you this afternoon or this morning. I don't want to keep saying this afternoon. I want, you to, I want you to get to this place and say, you know what? From this day forward, I'm not going to process God through my logic. I'm going to transform my mind. I'm going to allow his word to reshape my thinking. And in that process, I'm going to submit to his spirit. And in that process, I'm going to begin to see the unlimited source of heaven flowing through my life. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But yet we have prayer services praying for things we already have and wonder why we can't find it. We can't get it because it's our glasses sitting on top of our head. Just pull it down. See. I want you to stand with me. I should give out gold medals for you guys enduring that for a solid hour. 
but I hope you're encouraged, you're empowered, you're transformed by it. I pray that your thinking is shifting even right now. I'm going to ask you to pray this, this radical prayer with me. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to pray it. I want you to say this with me. Lord Jesus, help me to get over me. Let's say that again. Lord Jesus, help me to get over me. Now I want you to place your hand over your heads, over your minds. I'm going to teach you a prayer. Pray over my mind every day. Hebrews 9 says, the blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience from dead works. This is what I do with that, that passage. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, I ask that your blood will cleanse my conscience, sanctify my mind according to your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. See, what you're doing with that prayer is you're actually in the victory's already been won, but what you're doing is enforcing that victory over your mind, renewing it every single day. This, this is why my mind is not tormented anymore. This is why I actually sleep every night. You see, when you go to sleep, meditating on the world, you go to sleep in war, not in rest. Your emotions are not able to rest, and therefore your emotions get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, and Satan waits for an opportune time to jump on you because now you're not emotionally stable to be able to resist it. The most, one of the most powerful weapons of your warfare is sleep. Go home and take a nap. Next time that devil mess with you, just roll over and go to sleep. <laughs>